All right. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is so good to be here. Uh, I love Trinity Church and uh, I love the faces here. Uh, over the years, I've gotten to bond actually at youth camp with several. Hey, look right here, youth camp team and Grant. Wherever Grant is, he and I, oh, hey, right here, right here. Uh, I just, I love Trinity, and I just feel like over the years, you guys have felt more and more and more like family, and if you're new here and you're like, is this a place I should get connected, I cannot recommend it any higher, and um, like Matt said, we are part of a, the same family called Confluence, and uh, that may seem, you, you know, may not know what that means. A lot of people are familiar with like a denominational model for church, like churches are kind of associated, but what we're a part of is genuinely a family, and uh, um, I, that might be hard to believe, but uh, I can tell you what, ask one of the people that went to youth camp and they'll, they'll tell you like, yeah, this feels like family. Anybody that's been to celebration, yeah, this feels like family. And even actually what's funny is you mentioned Bryce and, and Jerron and uh, Josiah, like these are dear friends of mine uh, who pastor other churches. So uh, it is, it's just so great to have that kind of bond. And, uh, and I feel so blessed when I'm here with you guys. Hopefully that blessing is mutual. Uh, and I also have to say that I love Matt and Heather. They're so great. Uh, my wife, who uh, is here but not here, she's in Chicago, but she's with Heather. They weren't able to make it uh, this morning to church, but uh, uh, we just, my wife and I, Mackenzie's her name, we love Matt and Heather. They're dear friends of ours, and it's uh, such a joy to get to be with them. So you guys are blessed with, with them all the time. Uh, we're limited in the amount of time we get to spend with, with, with them and their kids. Oh my gosh, love their kids, Jones and McRae and Finley and Paisley, awesome, awesome family. Uh, so this morning, I just, um, I don't know about you, but I'm somebody who I am a firm believer uh, in the power of God's joy um, and, uh, and in the power of God's grace. I just think it's something that it's easy to like, feel like we have moments where we capture it. And then I think we can sometimes take it for granted. It sort of fades to the back of our mind, the power of the joy of God, the power of the grace of God, and yet I think that God's joy, God's grace, uh, are some of the most transformative things that we can possibly think about, contemplate, and walk in. And I believe the Bible encourages us to walk in these things uh, every day, multiple times a day. Um, and I think for some people, the idea of walking in something of God multiple times a day sounds like labor, it sounds like work. But I actually think as we look at the grace of God and the joy of God, what you recognize is like you look forward to eating every day, right? You look forward to the next meal each day. I believe when we rightly see the grace of God, we rightly see the joy of God. Our hearts leap, our hearts crave to, to eat of God like we crave to eat our next meal. And so we're going to read a passage today in Isaiah 55, and you're like, the Old Testament, talking about God's grace and God's joy? Yes, yes. If you are new to Christianity or you haven't you know, read a lot of the Bible, uh, I can tell you, I love the Bible. I read it a lot. Uh, I'm, I, I might have a mild obsession with it. I like genuinely, like, I just love the Word of God. I've been a Christian for 16 years, and I just can't stop reading it. Um, and I can just be, I can tell you this, the more you're in it, the more you want to be in it. Uh, and God does write it on your heart. And one of the cool things about the Old Testament is just how insanely grace-filled it is. And many people don't think that. They think God was different in the Old Testament, graceful in the New Testament, angry in the Old Testament. Uh, certainly, we see God's anger on display in the Old Testament at times, but uh, I, I think people miss the fact that his grace uh, is lavished uh, upon us in the Old Testament just as much as it is in the New Testament. We're going to see that in our passage today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 55. It will come up on the screen behind us. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. 
Uh, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray for us this morning. Here's what it says. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen, diligent to, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And what a great passage. Would you guys pray with me here this morning? Heavenly Father, uh, I do just pray um, for my brothers and sisters here at Trinity. I pray for myself uh, as well, and those who are watching from home. Lord, we just ask that you would flood us, Lord, like, like you did with the rain. Lord, flood us with your joy. Flood us with your grace. Lord, just this morning, I pray that we would uh, apprehend the depth and the riches and the glory of your beautiful joy and your amazing grace. Lord, when we see it rightly without barriers, God, it's like rich food to us. It satisfies the soul. It's like fresh water when we're dying of thirst, Lord. Your love, your grace, your joy, it's so satisfying to our souls. And I just pray this morning we would see it and we would experience it. Lord, only your spirit can reveal this to us. Only your spirit can transform our hearts and reveal these things deeply. God, I pray that you would do that this morning. Come dwell among us, Lord, and fill our hearts with your spirit. God, transform our minds in your truth and help us to see the depth of your love, the depth of your joy, the depth of your grace to us this morning. Open our eyes, open our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. All right, this starts off here with this invitation. It says, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? First half of this, it, it, it starts with an invitation into life and joy. What I love about the Bible is that God frequently invites us in. It's full of invitations. It's a book that's full of God asking us to come be in his presence. And I love this one because it says, come and if you're thirsty, come and drink of the waters. Right? Like some of you know, you may know what it's like to feel really thirsty. Uh, it, you know, for us in our day and, in a, our day and age, we actually are really blessed. We have, you know, fresh water available to us. We have indoor plumbing in our houses. It's like, you know, we can drink uh, water. We have like, we don't just have like tap water. We have like purified water, like from, from the refrigerator or like bottle. Like we are just surrounded by fresh water. And, uh, but I don't know if you've ever felt really thirsty, I remember this time uh, when I was like in my early 20s, I, some guys invited me out to play basketball and it was like 110 degrees outside. And I just, I was in my early 20s, so I wasn't the most logical thinker at the time. So I went and played like an hour of basketball. I didn't bring any water at all. 
And I just like, you know, I'm competitive. Uh, you may be competitive. And so I'm just, I'm playing basketball for like an hour with no water. And we get to the end of this and I feel like I'm dying. And my brain just, all it can think about is my thirst, how thirsty I am, how much I want water. And I remember thinking, I have never felt anything like this before. This single-minded desire for something to satisfy me. And I think the Bible, when it's talking about this kind of thirst, it's, it's, it's saying actually we all, in our souls, we may physically not be familiar with that kind of thirst for water. You know, I had an opportunity where I was physically that thirsty, but the Bible would say spiritually we are that thirsty for God. And we don't know, We're, we, we all feel this deep kind of inner thirst, this inner hunger. And, and the Bible here is inviting us to come to God and to drink. And, and, and what I love about this is it's a free invitation. If that's not clear, the next passage just says, come and eat you know, good food for free, buy uh, wine, buy milk without money and without price. Right? Our invitation to God is, is a free invitation. This is a radical idea. This is not human thinking, right? Most of us, like even some of us in Christ now, like in Jesus now, we can feel like there's some kind of price to pay before we get to God. Like Jesus broke into history and tore down the barrier between us and God, and yet so often we can feel like, man, I haven't done a good job. You know, he talks about being obsessed with the Bible. I haven't read the Bible in a while. Uh, even, like, let me just, let me help, give you some grace here. I am obsessed with the Bible. There have been long seasons of my life where I'm like not reading it much or at all, right? And, and it's, but here's the thing. It's like, it's like God's, God's love to me wasn't dependent on me reading the Bible in the first place. He doesn't sustain me because I read the Bible. Like it's all a free gift of grace, which actually motivates me to guess what? Jump right in and come to him and drink. Uh, and so some of you here this morning, you may feel like that. Like, I don't know how well I've been doing, but this invitation, I just, I cannot stress this enough. It is a free invitation to God. I right, come to him and drink without money, without price. There's no price to pay. Jesus paid the price for us, All right? And again, we see here this idea of, uh, of coming and eating, coming and drinking. The Bible uh, has this theme throughout it that every person uh, who exists has this deep inner longing, a deep inner hunger and thirst. And here it's telling us that that thirst is ultimately meant to be found in God. But you'll notice it, it actually adds a second category of things here. It says, it, 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 first that we get this free invitation, and then this question, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? What this is saying is that while we have this deep inner longing, oftentimes what we do is we spend our efforts on things that don't feed us and things that don't satisfy. We have a word for this in our language. We call it futility. And I'd say it's very easy for us as people to walk in spiritual futility, or we have a deep inner longing, and yet the things that we look for, the things that we look to, they don't really satisfy, and yet they come with a cost. I, can, I couldn't count, you know, the number of days I'm exhausted. Everything goes wrong. Everything's hard. I feel an ache in my soul. I haven't spent time with God. I haven't come and drank, and I can feel like, oh, so much work to do, and I come home, and I sit on the couch, because you know what isn't hard? Netflix. Like you just sit down, Netflix is like, here's five shows you're going to love. And I'm probably going to love them, right? Because as an algorithm designed specifically for me, knows what I like. And it's like, here's the office, just nonstop. Like, like at some point, Netflix is just, you're going to get home and sit down. It's just going to play like the show that you, and it's like, that's so easy. But what's crazy is how much it costs me and how little it satisfies me. It almost has an illusion of satisfaction. Like, like, and I'm not saying like we shouldn't ever enjoy shows or watch, but like you know how we use these things. So often we use them to numb a deep inner pain by sort of having an outward shallow pleasure. It just passes the time until the evening. I mean that testimony from Alpha, this, you know, you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you drink, 
I don't think that's much different from you wake up, you go to work, you come home, you sit, and you mind numb for all night. And then you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you do it again and again and again. And I just think, like, this passage is nailing this. It says, why do we labor? Why do we give ourselves over to things that don't really satisfy? They come with a cost, and they don't actually satisfy. We spend money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy. And what's crazy about this is a large part of what most of the world is doing, by the way, if you really think about it, most of what the world is doing is telling you to do this more, to get more. That the answer to the deep inner longing of your soul is more physical stuff, more food, different kinds of food, different kinds of experiences, right? I'm big into YouTube, I love it. I, it's great, I love travel vloggers. Have you noticed this? Like how many of you have thought, man, I wish in 2012 I'd travel to Japan and just film myself. I'd be a millionaire today and everybody would watch my YouTube channel. Like, and I live in Japan or wherever I live. I've thought this, I've thought, man, if only I were thinking, if I had a time machine, I'd be like, buy Bitcoin and start a travel YouTube vlog. Right, that's what I tell my 2012 self. Uh, but like, right, you think about that. Like even the fact that I think that it's like wealth and experiences. Like my brain's like, these things, those things will satisfy. And yet I think, if we think about that, right, that feels so natural, that feels so right. But do a little thought experiment with me here. If you think about life 150 years ago, I mean, none of us were around 150 years ago, but like we can, we can kind of think about this, and if you haven't thought about this, let me walk you through this. So life 150 years ago, that's not that long ago in the past. Um, there wasn't a lot, you know, that would put us in the late 1800s, there was a civil war. I don't know if you know much about the civil war, but they were like fighting with muskets, you know, shooting little lead balls at each other, right? There were not cars. People rode horses. Like there weren't vehicles. There certainly wasn't like indoor plumbing. Uh, and, and you just think like how different things are today. Like you and I, each of us as individuals, like we have an insurmountable amount more than they had 150 years ago. Wealth, technology, like we have cars, we have air conditioning. Like there might have been a leak in here this morning, but man, this temperature is right. right? Like the air is conditioned for you, what you like. You can make it hot, you can make it cold, and like we just take it for granted. You know, we were walking around yesterday downtown and it's, it, was, it was a little bit hot in the sun. It's like then you go inside and it's like, oh yeah, it's air conditioned. Right? 150 years ago, they did not have that. If it was hot outside, it was hot inside. It was hot everywhere. And you might think, well, that's not that much. But we have laptops, right? We have, we have like, you think about lap, like you think about even the 1960s. They had like a, the, a computer that could like set, tell you two plus two is four, took up an entire room. Right? You have laptops now, you carry around. Like I have like five computers on me. I have a laptop in my bag. I got a tablet right here. I got a phone in my pocket, right? I have so much technology. We have the internet. We have the internet. And like you think about like what a smartphone is. Like this thing has the sum total of human knowledge on it, and we all have one. Any question you could want answered, right? You can order tacos on here, right? It will tell you where to go if you're lost. Sometimes I think, man, if I had the faith that I have in Google Maps, if I had that faith in God, right? If, where he tells me to go, I go. It's like, turn right, okay, right? Like, if I had that kind of faith in God, my life would be radical. And I just think it's insane. You can like book flights. You can do all kinds of stuff on your phone. It's crazy. And like, that's like, I mean, you ever think, you, you probably never thought about this. We have fruit. And you're like, what? We have like tropical fruit available to us all the time. That is a strange thing. 150 years ago, you could not just go get a pineapple if you wanted a pineapple, right? 
We have, like, we have, the point is we have so much and we take it for granted. And like, comparatively, the richest person in the world 150 years ago, the person who had the most, we have more today. And yet, what is the primary pursuit of most people's lives? It's a pursuit for more. More stuff, more comfort, more wealth, more experiences. Or, right, if that's not it, it's the next thing, right? What's the next thing? The next phase of life. Oh, when I get out of college, I'll get that job that is my dream job, and then I'll be satisfied. All right, or, or when I get married, I'll be, it'll be great, and I'll be satisfied. And then, well, when I have kids, <laughs> if you've had kids, you know, I'm not satisfied by this. This is hard work. Right? This is, and like, but like, we think that, like, we, we move the goalpost. So if it's not more stuff we're looking for, it's the next goal. It's the next thing that is gonna, that's gonna be the thing that satisfies us. And most people in the world, that's what we're pursuing. That's what we're being told to pursue. And yeah, let me, let me tell you this. If the answer to the ache in your soul was more stuff, we surely would know by now. We have so much stuff. And yet, it's what we're often told to pursue. It's what comes to mind when we think about it, when we think about what is the ache in my soul. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we see this. Most of our pursuits and the things that we put our hope in in this life, they don't actually give us what we think they will give us. This is what Isaiah 55, why do you spend money on that which is not bread? It doesn't really satisfy your hunger. Why do you labor for that which doesn't satisfy? And if we're really honest, we think about this. We, we get that promotion, and our money problems don't go away. Um, I'm in a phase, I'm 35, I'm in a phase in my life. I'm, I, where I live, it's, you know, it's the Midwest, it's, it's northwestern Missouri, we live near Kansas City, and, and St. Joe's like a mid-sized town, and, and in this phase in my life, I'm seeing a lot of my friends and, and, and people around my age, they're starting to get a lot of money and wealth. I had a friend the other day tell me like, they're just, their income's like tripling, into like an, and they just I can't believe it. And I was talking to another friend who's, who's, they're just financially doing well. And they said this to me. They said, you know what's funny? The more money I make, the more money I spend. And I don't know why that is. And they like were mystified by this. It's like, this is the, cause it's the, like the human heart's like, you, or the, it's like we think we need more stuff. We get that promotion and, and our money problems don't magically go away. We get more money and we still have money problems. We get married and it's not a fairy tale. It's hard work. And then you have unexpected disagreements. Like, I thought you liked me. Like, what do you, what do you mean? My wife and I got in an argument over where you put the remote when we got married. Like, a, one of the biggest arguments of the first year of our marriage was like, where do you put the remote for the TV, right? Because I'm like, you leave it out where you can see it. She's like putting it in a drawer. And I'm like, why do you keep hiding the remote? And she's like, it has a home. And I'm like, it's home is where I can see it. And she's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, this is supposed to be a fairy tale, right? The Netflix romantic comedy did not end like this. You know, you have kids and you realize having kids is a lot of work for two decades. And you know what happens after two decades? They become adults who can commit felonies. And you're like, that's my kid. <laughs> Hopefully not. But like, that's the reality of it, right? Like life is often not what we think. And I've experienced this and maybe you have too. Like I've seen among my friends what I, you know, it's like the quarter life crisis. They, become, they get out of school. Like if you're a millennial, I'm a millennial. We were told like in elementary school, believe in yourself and you can do whatever you want. And then you get out of college and you're like, I'm ready. And they're like, here's your debt. Here's your bills. Oh, hey, guess what? Rent's $6,000 and we're gonna give you six for working every hour. And you're like, what? This is not, and so like people are like, life is not what I thought it would be. 
And if that's where you're at and you're like, man, I'm really struggling. I feel down. I feel depressed. Life's more expensive. It's more challenging. Relationships are hard. Parenting. Who? Like, it was like, it wasn't the Bible that told you how these things are going to, everything's going to work out perfect. It was the world that told you that. And I think that's really important. The Bible is very honest to us. I mean, here, Isaiah 55, it's a brilliant invitation to God, but it's also insanely honest. Why do you labor? Like, it's saying you have a tendency to, to spend your money on things that aren't bread and to, to labor for things that don't really satisfy. It does not take long. I think so often what our culture does is, is that it's like, look, it's someone else's fault. It's someone else's fault. The Bible's like, look in your own heart and see. This is what leads you astray. We were driving by like a mural yesterday in Chicago and it was like, dig deep inside to find the strength that you need, you know? And it's like, what? And it's like, look inside. Like the Bible's like, don't look inside, right? That what's inside is the desire to search out what doesn't satisfy, to find what will leave you empty when we look inside, right? Where we end up ultimately going often is, is, is things that don't, don't lead us to the life that we're hoping for. And yet, here we see this, the, the counter to it, this invitation into God. The Isaiah goes on and it says this. It says, listen diligently to me. So if you want to know the solution to this, you're like, okay, how do, I get, how do I get in the right place? Well, we can't look out to the world. The world will send you out into the pursuit of more. Well, we realize that's not the answer. Like if, if more was the answer, we would have known by now. Right? And the answer can't be on the inside, because on the inside, our tendencies are to spend our money on things that aren't bread, to labor for that which doesn't satisfy. So Isaiah 55 tells us where we look. In verse 2, it says, listen diligently to me. Fix your eyes on God, and not just look at him, listen to him, hear him. And if you know this, the Bible often says, he who has eyes, let him see. He who has ears, let him hear. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, it means there are people who have eyes and they're blind. They can see, but they don't see. Right? They have ears, and they can hear, but they're not listening. All right, you've talked to somebody who isn't listening. I have preached to people who aren't listening. This has happened to me. Believe it or not. Can you believe that? It's happened. But like, it's possible to talk to someone who isn't listening to you. They have ears, they can hear perfectly, but they're not hearing you. Right? So listening to God, like this is, this is radical. It's not just, you know, I know people who they've like kind of read the Bible, but they're just like, you know, like we can do this. We can just read the Bible and be like, okay, I read a chapter today. You can read the Bible and not listen. You can read a Bible and not take it in. Isaiah says, listen diligent to me and eat what is good. I love this comparison. Like listening to God and eating a good meal. Isaiah 55 says these are like the same thing. As you listen to God. Like I, I believe this. I really believe the Bible. It's like a rich meal. It's like a steak dinner. Nobody rushes through a steak dinner. You savor it. You know? I think the Bible's like that. And I think Isaiah 55 tells us this. Listen diligently to me, diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. This is the word of God. It's rich food to us. The presence of God is rich food for our souls. It says, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. I love this because the Bible sees you. Like, I don't know, I'm, my background is a scientist. Before I was a pastor, I was a biochemist. That sounds fancy, and I like that it sounds fancy. It's my flesh, it's a problem. But the thing is, is that, like, if you're not familiar with this, the predom one of the predominant worldviews and the predominant worldview behind science, which is pretty influential in our world today, is a concept called materialism. Materialism 
posits that the only things that are real are material things, things made of matter, things made of atoms, which means that you are just matter and all of your desires and all of your affections and the deepest love you could possibly feel are just chemicals in your brain going blah, blah, blah. And the Bible's like, no, you are not just flesh, you're a soul, you're physical and you're spiritual. You're both, you have a flesh and you have a soul. And what I love about this Isaiah is like, he cuts through it. He cuts through it and he says, as you look to God, it isn't your flesh that is set. The world can satisfy your flesh, by the way, did you know that? The world is really good at getting the flesh, making the flesh feel pleasure and, and enjoyment, but it cannot satisfy the soul. And it's the inner longing of the soul that leads to our outward hunger of the flesh. And here Isaiah is saying, I can solve your problem. Right, if you look to God, if you listen to God, if you hear God, God, will make your soul live. And he connects this to this idea of an everlasting covenant, which is just a relationship, like a relationship with the living God, a relationship with the God who created everything. This is scandalous, right? You wanna talk about ancient religions, right? Ancient belief, like even belief through history, like the Bible is unique, it stands alone. The idea that you can have a relationship with God, right? Jesus in the New Testament, just as controversial as him equating himself with God was him calling God his father. Pharisees hated that, they hated that. Like this is radical and this is unique. There were people in the world, before I was a Christian, I became a Christian 16 years ago when I was 19. I thought science was God and I thought all world religions worshiped the same God. That's what I thought. And uh, I'll tell you this, the idea of God as a father is radically Christian and scandalous to everyone. There's a surah in the Quran, I don't know if you know this, but there's a surah in the Quran that says, God does not begot and he is not begotten which is basically saying God is not a father and he has no son. The Quran makes sure to make that clear. Allah is purely separate and distant. The God of the Bible is radically different. He draws near. It gets even more controversial. Not only does Jesus pray God our father, he teaches us to pray that way. And not only does it teach us to pray God our father, Romans tells us that in Christ, we receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, that you and I receive the same status as Jesus himself, as sons and daughters of God. This is radical, this is powerful, this is incredible. All right, this is all part of God satisfying our soul. It comes from us listening carefully to God. Isaiah 55 makes this clear. And as we do, it's eating what's good, it's delighting ourselves in rich food. And this is such a simple process. It's taking in the word of God. It's believing and receiving the word of God. Saying, yes, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe I'm standing in the grace of God. I believe that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, that the work is done. I cannot add to it. I didn't, I, like when we become Christians, what happens is the radical love of God fills us. And what this means is your sins are forgiven. That's one part. Like this is a multifaceted salvation that we are experiencing in Jesus. When you come to Christ, your sins are forgiven. He died on the cross, he paid the price. That is true. You did nothing to earn it. You're not doing anything to deteriorate it. That grace is shining and perfect because he was shining and perfect. And you cannot muddy it, just so you know. That's the sure and steadfast love of God. It's important for you to know that because when you feel like you've been doing awful and you think I've muddied the love of God in my life and Jesus looks at you and says, you are just as perfect today as the day I saved you. Not because of your works, because it didn't start that way. If it didn't start that way, it can't end with your works. It didn't start by your works. It was grace in the beginning and it's grace in the middle and it'll be grace in the end. And when you recognize that, it's transformative when you're like, 
even though I fall short, my shining salvation, my shine, like Jesus is just as glorious today in my life. I'm still a son or daughter when I wake up. Guess what? That is the strength to overcome sin in your life. Isn't it? Right? If you get like, oh, Lord, I'm so messed up. Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, you know what he says? He doesn't say start off like, Lord, I have sinned. He says, pray like this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. He directs you upward towards God. He says, come right in first. Come to the throne room first. Right, you might think, oh, I'm coming in with a sinful life, but Jesus is like, no, the work is finished. You are not coming in with a sinful life. Later on in the prayer, it says, Lord, forgive us our sins. But guess what? He invites you to the throne room first. That is salvation. That is the grace of God. That is the power to overcome sin. Not by works, not by might, not by white knuckling it, but by coming to the throne room and basking in the hollow name of the Father who loves you and doesn't look at you as like a king and a subject, but like a father and a daughter or a father and a son. And that is the glorious love of our God in heaven. This is the invitation of Isaiah 55. Right? And, and, and the life-transforming power comes from believing this. It's through faith. How do you eat rich food? You believe this gospel. You let it get established in your heart. How do you become obsessed with the Bible? You believe this gospel. And you realize this is a rich meal that doesn't dull, that doesn't fade. That there aren't con You're not constantly putting up barriers. You might think you are constantly putting up barriers between you and God. But Christ tore down every dividing wall between you and him. And actually between us, isn't that glorious? There's no dividing wall between us. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter uh, your nation or your background or what you've done. We are united by the blood of Christ. It's such good news. Right? And here's the thing, let me, let me, cause you're listening to God, this, this sounds great in theory. What time is it? Uh-oh, it's uh-oh time. Listening to God, sorry, Matt, I gotta go a little over today here. L like listening to God and believing God and receiving his love and truth sounds straightforward and easy in some sense. And yet anyone who has seriously pursued this can tell you it's difficult and it's challenging. Even though it's like, I know, like I will tell you this. Let, let me tell you this thought that will sneak into your mind. It's a very human thought. I can tell you about the grace of God. Like this is part of why we do church because you need to be reminded of the grace of God. And we're not alone in this because left to your own, like you're going through your Bible reading plan on your own, you're gonna wake up and it's very easy to believe a lie, to be fooled by a lie. Today I'm not as close to God as I was yesterday. I haven't done well. Man, it's been months. You know what? I know I desire other things. I want other things besides God. And then we think, man, we're just, I'm building up this wall between myself and God, right? This life can feel difficult. It can feel not very straightforward to pursue Jesus. Right? There's challenges to it. I think there's two things here that I want to cover before we wrap up that, that can help us. Now, if you're a Christian and you often feel like you know what to do, but you struggle to do it, uh, or you feel like you fall short or get easily distracted by the world or like, you know, these desires of the world, these things that we can do. And I'm not talking about like outright sin. Like I want to be clear. I'm not talking about like going out and living a life full of outward sin. I'm talking about a life where you're like, I just really like, you know, coming home and chilling. Like, that's great. I like dreaming of being a travel vlogger. And it's not evil, that's not evil, right? But it is empty. It's emptier than you know. And you know this, I know you know this. We've all, we all know that, like, you've all had something you're like, this will satisfy me, and you get there and you're like, is this it? I've traveled to other places and I'm like, is this it? Right? This is not what I thought. I went to England one time and I'm walking around England, I'm like, this is great, and then I'm like, I wanna go home. 
<laughs> Matt loves that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, like I got, and I was like, man, is this, is this really it? Like, I'm uncomfortable. I didn't expect to be uncomfortable. I don't feel at home. And then you get home and my wife and I have this experience. It's like, man, I wish we were on a date. And then I'm like, man, I wish we were at home together. And it's like, I told my wife, I go, I don't feel at home anywhere. I think the Bible says, yeah, you're not. <laughs> you, your home is a different place. You are waiting for an, a, a, a lasting city, a permanent city, the kingdom of God. Colossians 3 says our life is hidden with Jesus and that's what my soul is hungering for. So it's, it's these things that distract us. And if, that, if you feel like that's where you are, this, these ideas that I'm gonna tell you here will be helpful. Right? The first idea, I've kind of mentioned it already, is this, that you and I, we are spiritual and physical creations. We're bodies and spirits according to the Bible. Uh, and this is important to recognize. So there are physical truths. I think science is primarily concerned with physical truths. It's also concluded that's all that there are. Uh, and yet it, it's, there's so many mysteries, right? You wanna know, like science is full of mysteries. And scientists will readily admit that, especially the physicists. But there's not just physical truths in the world, there's spiritual truths, spiritual reality. And for us, the spiritual side of things are, are hard. It's easier to feel your physical body's desires than it is your soul's desires. Those are sort of deeper and harder to feel. It's easier for us to register physical truth than it is spiritual truth. The Bible paints this picture for us. And what I mean by this is that we may know we need God, but we might feel more strongly in the moment that some physical comfort or pursuit is more worth our time. Does that make sense? Like, let me say that again. We may recognize that we need God, and yet, at the same time, the physical desires, like I think that manifests as physical desires, and the idea of physical comfort is far easier for us to recognize and satisfy than spiritual needs are. And this is why I think the Bible often uses food as a spiritual analogy. This is what it is. It's, you know, food is something that we're very attuned to. Right? I, can, I can right now, I can feel my hunger, right? And I can immediately think of things that will satisfy it. Tacos, not Chicago hot dogs. That was underwhelming, actually, when I tried that. Sorry. I hope you know hot dog. Hot dog Sunday, though. Come next week. Uh, <laughs> it's a fundraiser. Uh, so, but, right? Like I can feel my hunger. I can just, I can sense it. But if I'm like, but if, and because I'm a Christian, I think if I really try and I go back deep, I'm like, oh, I can feel a physical longing. But actually, you know what? I don't feel any spiritual longing. Like I'm in the grace of Jesus, and I can feel it. Right? Like, like, but that's an apprehension of truth. And what I love about this is, is the Bible often, it compares us to food because we understand food. We're very attuned to it. You might forget to eat for a period, but when you haven't eaten for a long time, you're very sensitive to that hunger. It's physical. It's obvious. It's powerful. Spiritual things, on the other hand, they're deeper than physical hunger. Oftentimes, it's hard to sense. It's hard to notice. I think it manifests as a general sadness, a general malaise, a general emptiness or longing deep inside. And we can feel this and often not be sure how to fill the void. And so what do we do? We we do what's easy. We go for the physical comforts. We go for the dopamine rush, right? We scroll on our phones, like the, the death scroll, right? Like software engineers have figured out that basically if the scrolling doesn't end, you won't stop, right? Because you don't really know what you're looking for, right? It's a deep inner longing that we have a hard time articulating. The culture says, that's not real. And the Bible says, it is. It's what you're real. It's the most real thing about you, your spiritual life, right? Heaven is the most real reality. This is just like right before, this is gonna be, the Bible says this is like a day. It's like, we're like here today and gone tomorrow. and Eternity is waiting and that's the real reality. But the, Jesus is like, that kingdom is here now. Right, and so that, but you do that death scroll. It's like, cause you have this deep inner longing, you don't have to satisfy it. So you're like, I'm looking for something, but what am I looking for? We've all done it. I'm really good at the death scroll. scroll. I'm like, I can, go, I can do that for hours. Longer than anyone else. And it's just, it's like, what am I looking for? We can even feel that sense. 
right? We're unsure how to fill the void. And Jesus constantly hints at this. When he's challenged by Satan, he tells him man does not live on bread alone. When Jesus is questioned about food, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And when he meets a woman who's desperate and has been searching for significance in relationships, she's had like five husbands. She's with a new guy, searching for her significance in love. And she's not finding it. She's just, maybe the next one. Maybe the next one will satisfy. Maybe the next one will satisfy. Jesus tells her, hey, real worship is spiritual. Real life is spiritual. And he invites her to it. He says, it's like drinking water. And if you come to me, you can drink and you'll be filled up. You'll never thirst again. Saying there's a kind of spiritual life that comes and satisfies truly and deeply. She'd been looking in the world. She'd been looking in relationships. I think a recognition of the spiritual struggle in comparison with the ease of seeing physical hunger is helpful in understanding why it can feel so hard to pursue God. Um, And then there's one more idea here that's helpful. When you feel distracted far from God, we've kind of tapped on this too, or like you failed, instead of looking at what you've done wrong, look to God, right? Ground yourself in grace. Flow in grace, like the cars are floating in the water this morning down the street, right? Like, like get yourself, like, I just think that's it. It's, it's, you know, we gotta look to God, we gotta listen diligently to him. The power of Christianity is in receiving God's grace freely, right? Recognize, the power of Christianity is in receiving God's grace freely. You wanna walk with might, walk in the grace of God. Not in your efforts, not in your work, not in how well you've been doing in the Bible, not in how well you've been praying. Remind yourself of grace. And guess what? You now have strength to pray. You have strength to read the Bible because you're like, I'm free. I don't have to read this to be justified. I get to read this because I am justified. And not just justified, I'm fully adopted in. God looks at me and loves me today. When God saved you, he took your weakness in account. He knew, he knows everything about you and he knew your weaknesses. And when he called you, he took those into account. You're not surprising him. And his grace still stands. It isn't wavering. It's still shining and perfect because Jesus is shining and perfect. And I think, actually, here's the thing. I think we, like, this is still hard. Like, I know the grace of God, and still there's a part of my flesh that's like, no, that can't be true. Is it really shining and perfect even though I'm not? And God's like, yes. That's the whole idea. It's been the whole idea. It's the great revelation of Christianity. It's the thing that sets Jesus apart from every other pursuit of the world. Everything else, it's all your labor. It's all your work. But with Jesus, when he was on that cross, he said, it is finished, and he meant it. That was a long time ago, and he's speaking in the past tense. It's like double past tense. (laughs) said, it is finished. Guys, today the work is finished. And here's the thing, I know you know this, but man, I need it. I need to be refreshing. You know, the best thing I can do with my time is be washed in the beauty of grace. To contemplate, to listen, to incline my ear to God's beautiful grace. Isaiah 55, it ends here with, uh, it just says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him to our God, for he will abundantly pardon What I love about this is the Bible paints this picture of it's like, as soon as we look to God, it's like, oh, the grace washes us. Even in the Old Testament, it's like, as soon as they turn to God, the grace of God washes them, abundantly pardons. We should seek the Lord where he may be found and find him. We have an invitation today. And I just want to, I hope God is stirring your hearts. This is is where I want us to, to just think about how can we respond to this? What, what can we do? And, and, and this, is, this is it. It's an invitation, like a recognition 
that what you really need, even, even when you're in Christ, like you still need spiritual food, just like you have to eat food every day, right? What, what's funny is if, again, like if you go a whole day without eating, you're gonna be very sensitive to that physical hunger. But for us, if we go a whole day without like drinking of the grace of God, I think so often we don't realize what we really want is spiritual hunger. Or why is like spiritual food, the truth of God? Because it's like we can, we can almost starve ourselves. And, and then we think, oh, there's so much gap between us and God. There's, I've messed up. And so we fail to turn to the one who satisfies. And so I just feel like this morning, there are some people here who you've just forgotten the shining, glorious, beautiful power of God's grace in your life, the truth and the solidness of it. Maybe you're here and this is the first time you've heard the grace of God presented so scandalously, right? I want you to know that it is scandalous. Like in the Bible, Paul writes most of, like half of Romans is him defending the ridiculousness of the fact that Jesus does it all and all we do is believe and we're completely washed, completely made new, secured for eternity, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and people were like, no, it can't be that easy. That's ludicrous. And they were like, Paul, we should just sin so that God's grace may abound. That's literally what they were mocking him with. Oh, if it comes free, let's all go sin because his blood covers it. That's ridiculous, Paul. And Jesus, and he's like, yeah, it sounds ridiculous. You're rightly apprehending the lavish love of God. <laughs> but the thing about that is when you recognize the grace of God, the, the last thing your heart does is think, I need to sin. Because you know what? Your heart is satisfied by the grace of God. Those longings that lead us to sin are satisfied by the grace of Jesus. You know, the greatest guard of sin, it's not white knuckling it, it's not toughness, it's not, I'm gonna love God better, it's not, I'm gonna love God better. It's, I am so loved and I am so free. Why would I want anything else? And it feels right, and your brain's like, how could this be? And you just, it's like this flow that flows into worship, which we get to do this morning. So I just, I hope, here's, here's the thing, God is inviting you into his joy and his joy is grounded in grace. And I feel like for some of you, you've forgotten the goodness and the glory of this. And I just feel like God wants to bless you. So I'm going to pray for that. Some of you here and you've maybe not heard, maybe you're at home and you've not heard this radical, scandalous message of grace. I'd encourage you to say yes to it and believe it. It is the most powerfully transforming thing. It isn't your work. It's the grace of God that changes you. And it changes you radically and powerfully. It's what fueled Paul, the man who was in prison and yet wrote Philippians. Like, you know. Having joy, everyone, like, it's just so joyful, and yet in prison. In prison, and yet more free than most humans I know, who are totally free, right? It's radical. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. There's obviously communion. I think that's a great way to, I mean, communion is a picture of grace. God freely giving. God freely restoring. Um, so let's pray, and let's respond in worship to this marvelous grace. Lord, I do just ask this morning, only you can reveal to us this goodness and grace. I just pray that we would turn our eyes to you, turn our ears to you, that we would see the truth, that we would hear the truth, and we would receive it and rejoice. Lord, that you would bathe us in your marvelous grace, that, Lord, we would overflow with joy as we recognize that we have all that we need, that we are resting in you, that, God, in Jesus, through the blood, we are perfected. Our sins have been forgiven. Lord, we're not dirtying. We're not uh, tarnishing your glorious love and grace towards us, but rather, Lord, you have set us free. 
And God, that's everything. Like that recognition of how radical your grace is. It's the thing that sets us free. It's the thing that transforms us. So just pour it out on us. Help us to see it. Like Isaiah calls us, let us come to you like a feast. God, come and eat like rich food. Let us worship in the joy that is satisfy, that, that satisfies us as we praise your holy name, Lord. I just pray our hearts would be uh, lifted high, that God, you would meet with us. And Lord, I pray for those who, who maybe are struggling to believe this for the first time. That God, you would just push them over the edge into your infinite pool of grace. God, into the refreshing waters of your love that set us free, that transform us like nothing else in this world can. God, and take us all closer. Transform us from one degree of glory to the next into your likeness. In your name we pray, amen.